Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who have been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing this show for a while, I often think to myself, holy moly, we could not be more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, a lover of socks with cuss words on them, and scared to death when Amy says she has an idea, because that usually spells trouble for me. And I'm Amy. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover, and even maybe if you aren't. And I'm also a dog collector, a Diet Coke addict, and if there's a good yard sale around, I treat it like a national treasure. Despite these differences, we both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other, and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week, we chat about what we're reading, as well as other bookish things, like authors in the news. Recent book-to-film adaptations. Weird stuff we've Googled while reading. And our TBR count. We're so glad you've joined us. Carrie, we're back from all of our journeys. We are back. I know. You took a journey to Scotland. I took a journey to Oregon. And so today our episode is going to be about books that that deal with journeys, whether they, they be fiction, nonfiction, physical, metaphysical all the journeys. But Uh, not particularly Scotland or Oregon. No. That's a later episode. Yeah. These are just journeys in general. And what I have found is that that must be a a wheelhouse of mine that I didn't realize that I liked so much. Because when I was trying to narrow it down to five, I had like 20 on my list. And I had a hard time narrowing it down because I had so many books that were about different kinds of journeys. So I think I must really love a book about journeys. Well, and we talked about this. There is a book called How to Read Novels Like a Professor by Thomas C. Foster. And he has a couple books about basically reading books kind of the way you would in a college class, right? So reading them, analyzing them, that stuff. And, you know, I mean, I think a lot of books, like probably more books than we realize are about journeys in some way. He has a whole chapter about it's like cars, planes, trains, airplanes, you know, like the importance of transportation as a symbolic element in novels. And so some of our books talk about things being moved around by those different modes of transportation. But I, I think some of them also have to do with like, Journeys of the mind, journeys of the heart, that kind of <laughs> well, stuff. It's everything is really a journey, right? Like if you have Life a book, is a journey. if you have a book with a plot, it's it's got a journey of some sort. But obviously, right. some are more blatantly a journey than others, right? Right. But before we get into traveling with our feet and traveling with our minds. I wanted to share some some listener feedback that we got. Stuart sent us an Instagram message and they said, uh, no clue how I stumbled upon your all's podcast, but I'm glad I did. I've been enjoying it and I hope that your Ecuador is was an amazing trip. My name is Stuart. I was born and raised in Louisville. I've been living in Panama, the country, for nine years now. And I've been living the Central America life. I just wanted to congratulate you all on a lovely, entertaining podcast and let you know it's being enjoyed internationally. So uh, I love that message. I'm glad to know that we have a friend in Central America now. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, if we ever decide to go to Panama, uh, maybe we have somewhere to stay. Maybe right. not. That's Maybe a not. big ass. That, that might be that might be a bridge too far. Right. I think uh, Stuart may be rethinking that message on Instagram. <laughs> like, oh, geez. <laughs> like, Amy really does want to be your friend. Bad. <laughs> okay. And then our episode last week with Katrina Kittle, after we recorded it, she sent us this email. And she didn't tell us this while we were recording. But she had this really funny story about a dream that she had had the night before we recorded with her. Which I think we're now, uh, we haven't yet, but I think this would be a perfect, perfect thing to implement going forward for all guests. 
based on, I have it in front of me. Do you want me oh, to? Oh, good. So Katrina says in her email, I meant to tell you about a crazy dream I had Saturday night. This was the Saturday before we recorded. In the dream, you had included in the info sheet that I need to wear a cat costume for the best sound quality. As we were starting the recording, I told you I had some cat ears and I hoped those would be okay. And you were both like, oh no, it needs to be a full cat suit, preferably a kitten for the best sound quality. And I was running around trying to find one. When my dream self was dragging a sewing machine out of the attic to whip one up real fast, I woke up. So I personally think that from here on out, every guest needs to be in full cat (laughs) costume, preferably a kitten. I think that's excellent. And I'm totally on board with Katrina's unconscious mind. So it it just struck me as so hilarious that she would have that dream and that we would say, no, it must be a full (laughs) cat costume for the best sound. Right, right. I mean, we are we are totally sticklers for like have to be this way. Yeah. I I just got back a few days ago from our family trip to Oregon. It went well. I liked Oregon. What I liked about Oregon. Wait, wait, wait. Clarify this. It yeah. went well, except for. Oh, I was, was going to get to that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I was trying to start with the positives, Carrie. Uh, gotcha. All right. The right, positives right. were that we're I really. We're different here. Yeah. yeah. You start with the, this is what went terribly wrong. I will get to that <laughs> at the end. What went right was that I really liked Oregon. You know, sometimes people say, are you a beach person or are you a mountain person? And generally I'm a mountain person, but what I liked about Oregon was that you can do both. The mountains and the ocean are like right next to each other. And I'm a person who I don't really want to swim in the ocean. So this was perfect for me because really the water on the Oregon coast is too cold to swim in, you know, unless you're wearing like a wetsuit or something. Mm -hmm. And so it was perfect for me. It was it was beautiful. They had these lovely cliffs over. Not all of it. I mean, some were very nice flat beaches, but then right next to that flat beach, you'd have a huge cliff that you could hike to the top to and then see into the ocean. It was lovely. So I really enjoyed that. Uh, the downside, we had a little bit of a downside. Well, for you, it, it actually involved a cat. Nice tie into Katrina. It thing. did. Unfortunately, <laughs> it involved a cat. I had a little mishap our second day there. We were staying at an Airbnb in Portland, and uh, my husband and I had walked a couple blocks to a little coffee shop to get coffee. We were supposed to take a day trip that day out to the Columbia River Gorge area to do a lovely hike. And as we were walking back with the coffee, (laughs) I saw a cat sitting on a doorstep. Mm -hmm. And I looked over at the cat. I start talking to the cat. And you know, in the background, my husband's saying, leave that cat alone. And I am still walking, (laughs) looking at the cat. And as I kind of turn my head forward, I did not see that there was a like a crack in the concrete. So it was like it was broken concrete and uneven. And I stepped funny in the hole and I twisted my ankle uh, bad enough that I couldn't take that hike. I had to stay home with, you know, ice on it, wrapped up on a pillow well, my family went did a lovely hike, La Terrell Falls, I think it was, in the Columbia River Gorge area, which they said was tremendous, and I missed it. But I did get to stay home. I read books. I mean, it wasn't awful. But I had a twisted ankle the whole time. Now, I did because I rested it that day, I was able to walk, and I, we did do another hike when we got to the Oregon coast. Uh, but it wasn't ideal. It wasn't ideal. And the other thing was my husband was sick all week with some kind of upper respiratory illness. Uh, And he kind of downplayed it because I don't think he wanted to ruin everybody's fun. Uh, But he obviously didn't feel well, was a little bit cranky, didn't sleep well because he was coughing a lot. And then two days before we left, my son got it and he did not downplay it for everybody (laughs) else's comfort. (laughs) And he is a 25-year-old man and no offense to guys out there, but we know how men are when they're sick. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit dampened by those things. Yeah. There you go. And now my now my daughter's sick. And I think she has the same thing. So knock on wood, I am the only one who escaped not getting this virus, which 
makes me feel a little bit like superwoman, like super <laughs> immune system. Oh, well, woman. there you go. You've jinxed it now. I know, right? I'm going to get it anytime, but yeah. So one of our listeners, Kate, who lives in Portland, sent me all kinds of wonderful book recommendations. And when I was in Portland, I went to Powell's because some of those books, uh, I couldn't find them in our library. And so when I got to Powell's, which is a little overwhelming, I must say, it is a whole city block. But once I got my bearings, uh, I loved it. But I got several of the books there and read them. So uh, in a future episode, I will talk about some of those books. So thank you, Kate, for those recommendations. So, Carrie, you have been doing some reading and some watching. I have. We found that on Disney Plus, there is a series called American Born Chinese, which is based on the graphic novel American Born Chinese. So we have been watching that. I have wanted to see that, but we do not get Disney Plus. It's pretty good. It has two of the actors that were in um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now, I have not seen that. That's on my list of things to see. But they are both in this series. So Michelle Yeoh. And then also... He was in... who was in the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies? Yes. Ki Hu Kwan. I'm probably mispronouncing that. But anyway, so they are both in this. Let me ask a question. So you have read the book by... Mm -hmm. Jean, Jean Luen Yang. It won a major. It won a major award. I can't remember which one. I don't know if it was the Pulitzer, the National Book Award. I believe it was the National Book Award. Okay, Mm -hmm. in two thousand six. And so, how are you? Have you finished the series yet? No, I think we're halfway through. I think there are eight episodes. I mean, it's it's definitely different, you know, because it's a it's a graphic novel, so it's much more expansive. So it has a lot of the same or similar characters, but in the book, there's three sections and you think that they're not connected until you get to the end. And so like in, in one of the sections, there's a a Chinese American boy who feels like he doesn't fit in, you know, and he feels like everybody treats him differently or they don't understand where he's coming from or they look down on him. And then there's a section about the monkey king. And then there's a section about this uh, stereotypical Chinese character who's like a cousin and he comes and embarrasses the Chinese-American cousin that he visits. So in the show, it sort of takes those a little bit, three, and sort of builds out from there. It's hard to explain. To make a, a, a TV show or, you know, a series based on a graphic novel, it's going to have to be more added to it. So mm-hmm. I, but, I think that's just... But what they've added, you feel like... I mean, because sometimes in an adaptation, they can add things that make sense and enhance the story. Yeah, no, and I think they're doing they a good job. Th- okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, it's been several years since I've read American Born Chinese, but it's interesting. I don't feel like they're pulling... Actually, it kind of expands on things in that like, you get... Like the last episode we watched, it tells a story about the Monkey King. And I don't remember that story being in the graphic novel. Maybe it was. But it sort of gives more background to each character that wasn't in the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So I think it provides a little more depth, I guess. Or mm-hmm. I like it. Now, <laughs> I recently read Annihilation, the sci-fi novel by Jeff Vandermeer. Yes, which a previous guest talked about on our show, Lydia Welker from the Appalachian Prison Book Project. Well, talked about that book and this, and there's two other books in the series, right? Uh, yes, I decided I was like, okay, I'm going to read this. And Dean had read it, and he was like, yeah, I'll be glad for you to read it because I feel like I was missing something, and I feel like I was maybe missing something that somebody who's you know like has a background as an English major would pick up on. And so I read it and then I was like, okay, I want to watch the movie. So we watched the movie, but apparently I had watched the movie before and forgotten that I had watched the movie. So now I have read the book and seen the movie twice. And the movie, (laughs) basically the only thing that's similar, I mean, there's very little that's similar between the book and the movie. 
Oh, okay. I mean, like, what's similar is female protagonist. This, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> and, and weird area that the government is trying to keep quiet where weird stuff is happening. And a team of women goes into that area. And that's the extent of what's the same. Like, oh, wow. Very the book is hard. I mean, it's hard to understand. Like you're sitting there going, what is going on? And that's why Dean thought that you might be able yeah. to, to yeah, help like, him understand be, it. Like there's something deeper to it. I'm like, no, I don't think, I think it's like legit confusing. Now, you know, because it is a series, maybe some of that in books two and three will be further explained, but nothing is clear, but maybe, you know, maybe that's the point because this whole area X, the whole idea is that these teams keep going into it and, and they don't come out. And the protagonist in the book, her husband is the only one who comes out. He's not the same. And he soon, very soon after dies of cancer. And now is part in the movie in the movie. So Natalie Portman plays the protagonist. Oscar Isaacs is her husband. He does come back in the movie, but he doesn't die. It's a very confusing book. So I almost feel like it would be a book where I'd be like, okay, I need a friend to read this and we need to meet every week and discuss what the heck's going on and what the heck this <laughs> It would be a good buddy read. Is it that what you're saying? Yeah. It's it's just very bizarre. So I'm not sure if I'll if I'll keep reading it because I like the bizarre part, but I sort of like bizarre with a little bit more clarity for mm-hmm. me. I, I like I want an explanation, but I mean that's sort of sci-fi. Like right, you know, yeah, they don't always give you an explanation. It's just like this is the way it is. This is weird and discuss. <laughs> but that's it. Well, and you know, after going to Scotland, we're broke, so we're not do- <laughs> we're not doing much in the way of going out and doing stuff. So we have been watching just okay, Carrie. TV. Let's be real. You didn't go out and do a lot of stuff before that. Well, that's true. We don't, we don't. That's true. What am I saying? <laughs> I mean, you make it sound like, you know, you're always going out on the town. That's true. That is not the case. That, no, I, that is not. Pretty much never with Dean. Occasionally, but We did ever. go out like two weeks ago and met with friends. Yeah. We went to dinner. Which that is a big deal. Once a, a big year. Deal. With yeah. this, this couple. Yeah. Once a year. Although we're like, okay, let's do this again in January. Let's go crazy. And do this again in January. So we might start doing it twice a year. That's wow. true. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good point. All right. Well, hey, so there has been some news recently related to a book. Yes. There was a book that I read several years ago. It's actually a very good audiobook if you're an audiobook listener, but it's called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. And this is nonfiction. It is about a woman uh, in the 1950s named Henrietta Lacks. She was a, a, a black woman who had cervical cancer. And uh, when she went to the hospital, scientists took some of her cells And those cells are the basis of pretty much what all scientists use for human cells to do tests on. Even today. Even today. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing was, they didn't ask her permission. They didn't ask her family's permission. And many of her, her generations of her family have lived in poverty since then. Well, and not only did they not ask permission, but her cells have been used to create treatments yes that have garnered companies probably millions maybe even billions of dollars and those innovations were done using her cells and she has never her family has never been compensated right they're called hela cells right h e l a which is shorthand for henrietta lax and so I saw an article just a couple days ago. Um, I'll link to it in our show notes. But it, the headline is, and this is from NPR, Henrietta Lacks' descendants reach a settlement over the use of her stolen cells. So they sued the company Thermo Fisher Scientific, which is a science and technology firm. This firm asked for it to be dismissed, arguing that the claim was too old. But... They found a settlement 
And I think that her family's going to be getting some compensation for her, the use of her cells. One of her grandsons, Alfred Carter, called it a day that will go down in history. And Tuesday would have been her 103rd birthday. Hmm. Hmm. So there's somewhat of a good ending for her her descendants uh, about this story. And we should all be thankful to Henrietta Lacks for her cells and the the medical accomplishments that were able to be made from those at the expense of her family. But if you have not read that book, it's you, excellent. You should read it. It makes you understand science and research and things. And inform consent. And also the injustices that were done to black patients in the United States. And it helps explain somewhat why a lot of people in the black community even now are hesitant about certain kinds of medical procedures Mm -hmm. and things. So I think it's an important book. Yep. All right. Well, Amy, what have you been reading lately? Well, I read a middle grade book that was quite delightful called The Lion of Lark Hayes Manor by Aubrey Hartman. It's a fantasy book and it introduces us to a sixth grade girl named Poppy Woodcock and her parents are architectural rehabbers and her mother is an architect, her father is a building contractor and so together they take these skills and they go to rehab historical sites that have seen better days. And their most recent project uh, is this huge mansion in the Pacific Northwest called Lark Hayes Manor, which is this grand old home that really hasn't been touched since 1899. So Poppy and her family, they live on the grounds while the work is being done. But Poppy is a girl who likes to explore. She's a huge reader and her favorite books are those with magic. And her absolute favorite series of books are the Chronicles of Narnia. She still believes in magic a little bit, even though her parents and her brother think that she should have outgrown that by now. So while she's exploring the manor, she finds a little magic of her own. She saves a water nymph from harm from some of the construction equipment on the property. But the water nymph is not how I imagine them. I think of a a water nymph as almost being like, you know, a sweet fairy. But this water nymph is angry and she's angry at humans but she owes Poppy a wish. So Poppy wishes for her favorite book character to come to life, which happens to be Aslan, the flying lion from the Narnia books. And her wish comes true. A winged lion cub appears in a small closet in the manor. And now Poppy must try to keep the cub, who she names Samson, hidden from everyone, which becomes harder and harder as he grows into a full-sized lion. So in between all the excitement, what Poppy doesn't realize is that even though the water nymph granted her wish, the water nymph will also take something and involves her favorite books and the loss will affect everyone that's around her. Poppy and the reader come to realize that the wide spreading effects that come when your books disappear uh, is larger than what you would think. So this is a fun, whimsical book, perfect for any reader, young or old, who's ever wanted to be a character in their favorite novel or bring that favorite character to life. The lion whose name is Samson, he's such a cozy character. And you know, I love a a book with an animal sidekick. I know. So this, this book was just published in May. Uh, But it has a sort of a classic feel to it. And so I really enjoyed it. Again, the name of that book is The Lion of Lark Hayes Manor by Aubrey Hartman. Cool. What about you? So my son is taking an AP language and composition class next year. And so he had some summer reading. He had some summer work to do. You can imagine this went over like a lead balloon. He was none too happy, but... I told him, I said, I'll read the book and then you can read the book and that way I can help you and we'll, we'll get it done. He did get it done. He finished well before, before school starts. So we're in good shape. The book is called The Professor and the Madman, A Tale of Murder, Insanity, and the Making of the Oxford English Dictionary by Simon Winchester. Now, I know why he picked this book because it it's, was short. Sh- it's short. It's short. Yes. Okay. It's short. I didn't even know that. I'm just guessing. Yeah. No, no, it is short. <laughs> I mean, when I say short, it's it's around a little, a little over 200 pages. So 
you know, manageable for a 15 year old boy. So the book was published in 1998, and it is the story of Dr. William Chester Minor. He was an American surgeon who was living in England in the mid-1800s, and he committed a murder. But that murder was committed as a result of delusions. He had been suffering from like hallucinations for years. He was found insane and placed into an asylum where he lived reasonably comfortably. He was judged, you know, he wasn't dangerous to others, and he had a pension from the U.S. Army. But he was put into this asylum when he was in his like 30s, and he stayed there for the rest of his life. He was very well educated. And, you know, at that time, people didn't get their information from social media or television. They got it from newspapers. And so Dr. William Chester Minor learned that Professor James Murray was starting this monumental task of creating what would become the Oxford English Dictionary. Now, all told, it took 70 years to create the Oxford English Dictionary. And so this book does a nice job. So there'll be one chapter about Dr. Minor, and then there'll be another chapter about Professor James Murray and the work that went into the creation of this dictionary. So despite being in an asylum, Dr. Minor was an integral part of the dictionary becoming what it is today. And it was really kind of amazing. Like he was in an asylum. So he spent all of his time reading, researching the history of of these words. So what they were kind of looking for is they wanted to find quotes in ancient texts to determine when the first usage was of of all the words in the Oxford English Dictionary. So the book does a really nice job of sort of painting a picture of just how tedious um that work was and how and so you know at that time people didn't have computers and so what they would do is they would just jot notes and so they would have notes on paper about each word and they would send this to professor james murray and so there were millions and millions and millions of these small papers about these words that he and his teams used to create this dictionary. It was fascinating on on a variety of counts. But I think at least for for my son, which I thought was really kind of cool that he got from it, which I think is the point is you know, people who have mental health issues have a lot of times written off, you know, and especially, you know, like Dr. Minor was in an asylum. And so people forget that they are still able to make contributions that benefits society. In his case, he had the he had the pension and so he was in conditions that allowed him to benefit society. So I, I think it gave my son a lot to think about. And so it, when he gets back to school, he'll have to do like a research paper. But I think it's going to end up being about, you know, mental health and about, mm-hmm. you know, now uh, a lot of people who have mental health issues, we don't have asylums, but we have prisons and that's where they end up. And are they yeah. able to make contributions to society, even if they might be able to, if they had better care or better treatment, or maybe, maybe they would. So it it was, it was an interesting book. So if you like history, if you like the study of words, if you like books about mental health, I think this would be interesting to you. Again, it's called The Professor and the Madman, A Tale of Murder, Insanity, and the Making of the Oxford English Dictionary by Simon Winchester. That one's been on my list for a long time. And there is a movie. We have not watched it yet, but there is a movie version of it. So who's if, in it? If who's in it? Mel Gibson. Oh, I, I think... probably won't watch it then. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't love Mel Gibson, but I like him more than Tom Cruise. So... Oh, is Tom Cruise in it too? That would be a double. No, 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 oh, no. Okay. No. The film has Mel Gibson and Sean Penn mm. in it, and if any of our listeners are like interested in this book, but they live outside the United States, they would need to look for the book under a different title. Um, It's called the surgeon of Crowthorn outside of the United States. Well, that was quite a journey that you took us on. (laughs) The the insane asylum took you all the way to England. uh, And now we need, we need to do like a rest stop. We need to do a rest stop on our journey. Oh my God. And take a moment And when we come back, we're going to talk about all kinds of other journeys. Wah, wah. Wah. (laughs) 
All right, we are back to talk about journeys. And, you know, Amy's real good at making a funny pun and, you know, really laying it thick about journeys, but uh, that's not my wheelhouse. So I'm just going to ask, Amy, what's your first book about journeys? (laughs) So a lot of the books that I'm talking about today, I mean, they are backlist titles, no joke, but they are ones that have stuck with me. So a lot of them, I had to go back and refresh my memory as to like what exactly they were about. But when we decided to do journeys, they were some of the first books that popped into my head. So the first one I'm going to do is called The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry by Rachel Joyce. Henry Fry, he's an older guy. He's recently retired. He lives in a small English village with his wife and they come to sort of get on each other's nerves They don't actively fight with one another. They just can't really remember what they loved about each other in the first place. They pick and they pick and they pick. I think we all have probably seen older couples like this, right? And then one day, Harold gets this letter in the mail from an old acquaintance named Queenie Hennessy, who he hasn't seen in 20 years. It's a goodbye letter because she's in hospice care in a hospital 600 miles away. So he he writes off a note to send back to her. And he, t- he begins to take it out to the mailbox. But instead of putting the letter in the mailbox, he just sort of keeps on walking. <laughs> Wasn't planned, but somewhere in his mind, he knows that he must deliver this note himself. As he goes along, he's convinced himself that as long as he is walking, Queenie will not die before he gets there. So this is his journey, but it's both a walking journey and also one you know, more of a cerebral journey. Um, And he meets lots of interesting people along the way. This is a little gem of a book. And if you like this book, there are two others that flesh out other characters in the book and their backstories. One is about Queenie herself. And I think that the other one might be about his wife, Maureen. So again, the name of that is The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry by Rachel Joyce. Okay. So... He just starts, I mean, he is totally unprepared for this, Yes, totally unprepared. He's like in his slippers and pair of shorts or something. Yes, he's completely unprepared. He thinks he's just taking this letter to his mailbox and he just kind of keeps on walking. His wife doesn't know where he's gone. Yeah. Okay, so is this a book that I would get irritated with because I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Like walk back in the house and pack a bag or something. I mean... Carrie, sometimes it's hard to know what what might set you off. I mean, he doesn't walk the whole six hundred miles in his you know his slippers. At some point along the way, he he has to stop and buy some different shoes. Okay, so he has a wallet. Yes, I believe he has his wallet. Okay. I, I mean, okay. I, like I said, I read it a long time ago. I don't remember. But like he meets people <laughs> along the way who might give him things okay. you know, that he can use. Okay. So no, I mean, I'm he's, like, if, he's, if he's like a senior citizen, he's going to have medication that he, he needs to take. He is not going to be. It's, I okay. don't remember anything about any medication, <laughs> but you know. Okay. So what you're saying is somebody like me is going to have to suspend their disbelief. I mean, there is a little bit of suspense of, of disbelief, okay. sure. Okay. But okay. it is a really sweet, it's okay. a really sweet story. Okay. Sorry. I let my, the logistical, practical part of my brain, like, I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you have to let a little bit of that go for the, you know, the overall know. story. I mean, I know. you know, after I read it, it made me want to walk. You know, I walk in my neighborhood and a lot anyway, but it, it, there's something about reading the book that made me just want to like take off and walk somewhere. Hmm. I mean, that desire soon left, but <laughs> it, it did make me want to initially because I, I just, I don't know. I, it just inspired me. Hmm. Okay. What about you? Okay. Well, you talked about walking. I read a book about walking a little bit different. The book that I'm going to talk about is called Walking a Sacred Path, Rediscovering the Labyrinth as a Spiritual Tool by Lauren Artress. Okay, so I volunteer with children at at the church that I go to. And last fall, we had a lock-in. Now, I did not stay the night for that lock-in because I am not insane. But we did do a canvas labyrinth with the kids. And it was this strangely powerful experience. So... Most people have heard of a labyrinth. And if they're anything like me, they picture the Minotaur, the, the Crete 
labyrinth right. where the minotaur is in the middle and you walk in and you're stuck and you get eaten when you get to the center. Okay. Well, take that picture out of your mind because the the idea of a labyrinth is you you walk it, you get to the center, but then unlike the the minotaur labyrinth, you come back out using the same path that you got into it on. Okay, so you go in the path, you get to the middle, and you come out the exact same way. Okay, so labyrinths are these primitive structures that predate Christianity, and they they have the ability to do something a little strange with our brains. They can almost act like a reset button. So if you relax, if you walk the labyrinth, if you are kind of open to it, you know, and you can use it as a meditative tool where, you know, you can tap into your fears or things that confuse you or your desires or whatever un- unconscious struggles you've had. So I've walked two labyrinths in the last year and both times I kind of had this strange experience. Now, maybe that's just that I get dizzy easily. I don't know. <laughs> it's entirely possible. But I also felt this very, this sense of relaxation. Like the first time I walked it, it felt almost like I used to feel when I would get a massage. You know, that uh-huh. feeling after you have a massage and your shoulders just feel relaxed and your back feels relaxed and you just feel You feel kind of tired, but you also feel very at peace. And that's the experience that I had, especially the first time, but also the second time that I walked a labyrinth. The cool thing is labyrinths are are in lots of places that you wouldn't expect. Well, I was going to say, there was an article in one of our newspapers recently about all the different labyrinths that you could find locally. And I had no idea. Yes. So we're we're not talking like the big labyrinths with like hedges, like you're thinking. No, 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 that's that. And, and well, and here's the thing, there's a difference between a labyrinth and a maze. So a maze is where you come to dead ends, right? And you have to turn around and figure your way out. A maze is different from a labyrinth. And so really, when you think about the Minotaur Labyrinth, that was probably more of a maze because they got in and they couldn't figure out how to get out. A true labyrinth, there's one way in and you back, you turn around and you come back the exact same way. So there's no way to get lost in a labyrinth. But I want to tell you, if if you have any interest at all in labyrinths, there is a website called Labyrinth locator.com where you can find labyrinths not only near you but any place in the world which is really cool so if you're if you're going on a trip and you're like hey i wonder if they have labyrinths there you can see some of them are in churches but a lot of them are in parks or just places you wouldn't necessarily expect so you know i personally like the idea of being able to sort of walk this path where you stay on the path, you walk it, you can sort of forget. You don't have to focus on where you're walking. Now, maybe you will, Amy, because you're a little bit, you know. (laughs) I'm a little bit clumsy. I mean, if there's a cat there, all bets are off. (laughs) But but anyway, I I think it's kind of cool. So if you're into like maybe some spirituality or you're into the history of things and you're interested in labyrinths, this might be a book for you. It's, it's called, the journey of the mind. It's it a journey is. of the mind. I mean, but it, it is also a journey of your feet because you are walking yeah. this path. So pretty, pretty cool book. Again, it's called Walking a Sacred Path, Rediscovering the Labyrinth as a Spiritual Tool by Lauren Artress. I love that. Did you did you use that website when you were in Scotland? Well, I did look up where there were labyrinths, but honestly, there was so much stuff to see that to make time to find a labyrinth was not high on the list of, of things. Well, I love that. That, That's a, that's a cool one. So what's your next one? So my next one, it's way in the back list. It's from 2006. It is a book by Isabel Allende called daughter of fortune. Uh, This is historical fiction. It's about a young woman named Eliza Summers who was orphaned at birth, but she's raised by a British spinster in Chile in the 1840s. And, you know, it's a little bit of a young love story because Eliza meets a young man named Joaquin, who is, you know, in quotes, inappropriate for her. But this young man decides that he's going to head to California to make his fortune panning gold. Well, Eliza is heartsick. 
she's lovesick. And so she stows away on a ship to follow him there. So, you know, we have this long journey on a ship, but once she's there, then you get this wonderful backdrop of San Francisco of that time period. So you get a society that's filled with lots of single men and prostitutes and Chinese immigrants. And all the while she is still searching for Joaquin. And of course, during the journey, she learns a lot about herself. And I cannot remember how this book ends, but I remember <laughs> loving it. <laughs> and hopefully you will too. <laughs> so again, the name of that book is Daughter of Fortune by Isabel Allende. On a boat. Maybe I would, I don't know. Could I do that? I, I have bad experience on boats. Ugh. I think if I remember correctly, she had some bad experiences. Oh, really? That can happen. (laughs) I mean, it really was a journey to go find this, this guy who, you know, was kind of described as a little bit of a rake anyway. Mm. But I, I kind of like that time period, like the, the West and the panning for gold and all those I find a little intriguing. And so it was, it it was interesting to see it from her character's perspective. So. Hey, I'm trying to tie this in. I've got a book called... Is it about a boat? It is about a boat. Well, sort of about a boat. It's called Haroon and the Sea of Stories by Salman Rushdie. Now, I have been wanting to read Salman Rushdie. I Up until I read this fairly recently, I had not read any of his stuff. I picked this one because like, his books are super long. They're a commitment. This was relatively short. I listened to it by audiobook, and it is about a boy named Haroon, whose father Rashid is a storyteller until his mother and the neighbor run away with each other. And so Rashid is depressed. He's very sad. He decides that he's no longer going to subscribe to the special service he gets that allows him to get water from the sea of stories. And that's what allows him to be such an excellent storyteller. But Haroon, the son, is determined that his father must still tell stories. So Haroon foils the attempt to stop the service being cut off. And he and his father begin this journey that actually takes them to the sea of stories. This is a very whimsical story. It reminded me a lot of The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Jester, which is also about a journey. Haroon and the Sea of Stories, it's very silly and it's full of word twists and turns. So if you have a kid that I would say is like second, third, fourth grade, I think they will love this book, especially if they're boys, because of the character names. Like there's a character called Snooty Batu. <laughs> and then there's, I think it's the boat, the transportation that they ride is called Butt the Hoopoo. And uh, so, yeah, boys are, little boys are going to love that. Little boys, butts. butts, you know, it's very sort of magical, whimsical. So if you have kids, I think this would be a story they would like. And it is about a journey. So Haroon and the Sea of Stories by Salman Rushdie. That sounds delightful. That's not, when you say whimsical, I'm going to go on the opposite extreme because the next one I'm going to talk about is a gut wrencher. Uh, it's called Extremely Loud and Incredibly mm. Close by Jonathan Saffron Foyer. And this one takes place several years after 9-11. And it involves a nine-year-old boy named Oscar whose father died in that attack. And Oscar finds a key that he believes belonged to his father. Oscar's a little precocious. He fancies himself a bit of a detective and an inventor, and he is resolute that he will find the lock that belongs to this key and thus learn more about the father who was taken away from him way too early. So his journey takes him to the five boroughs in New York City to interview family and friends and sometimes even complete strangers to solve the mystery and help him feel closer to his father. This book is very visceral. It's a gut punch. I can still remember the way it made me feel when I read it years ago. It's just so memorable to to me all these years later. So when I was looking at Goodreads to refresh my memory about it, I looked at your review of it and Uh how painful you said it was. I gave this book five stars. I think you gave it four. I don't know. It's a tearjerker, I Mm, guess. mm, You know, it's a sad book. But I really loved it. And, you know, I'm not, I don't tend to gravitate necessarily towards sad books the way you do. 
but this one moved me quite a quite a lot. So what about you? You got any like heavy? Actually, I don't. None you don't have no heavy books? No heavy books. Wow. No okay. heavy books. What's I, next for you? So this is a book that, uh, I, you know, we had that episode however long ago about covers, book covers yeah. and how the book covers. Well, this is one where the book cover drew me in because it's a painting by Leonardo da Vinci. The book is called What the Ermine Saw, The Extraordinary Journey of Leonardo da Vinci's Most Mysterious Portrait by Eden Collinsworth. So I know virtually nothing about Leonardo da Vinci or his painting. And so I listened to this audiobook, and it is the story of the painting Lady with an Ermine. So the story is about the woman in this painting. Her name was Cecilia Gallerani, and she was a mistress of the Duke of Milan in the late 1400s. And the text explains how this painting eventually landed in the hands of a Polish prince in the late 1700s. So the painting traveled around Europe in part to save it from wars. So, you know, Russian invasions and then the Nazis in the 1930s. Uh, The painting can now be seen in Krakow, Poland at the Czartoryski Museum, which is one of the country's oldest museums. So if you like art, if you like art history, if you're interested in history in general, this would be a book that you would like. That sounds like one that I would like because I do like art history and I like books about like what happens, especially, you know, you hear about paintings that were stolen by the Nazis during Mm -hmm. World War II and where some of those ended up. And I find all that. I find all that very interesting. Yeah. And like if you were going like, say, you're planning a trip and you're planning to go to Poland. This would be a great book to read because then you get there, you go to Krakow, you can visit and see this painting. And so I think even though I don't consider myself an art buff or, you know, even have a huge interest in the visual arts, I I thought this was pretty interesting. So it's a journey of an object. It's a journey of an object. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's up for you? Well, when I was making my list, I realized that I had a lot of Westerns on my list. And so I had to narrow it down to which Western (laughs) that I was going to do. And I chose books by Paulette Giles. And actually you're going to get a twofer for this one because two of her books that I have read are about journey. So I'm going to, going to give you a little synopsis of each of them, but in one of them, the main character is having to deliver a person somewhere. So it's not an object, but it's a person. The name of the book is news of the world. And News of the World is a little bit more like a Western. It's set in Northern Texas. It's set after the Civil War. And Captain Jefferson Kidd travels around to different communities reading newspaper headlines to paying customers in order to make a living. Those people were called itinerant newsreaders. So he's asked to return a young German immigrant girl back to her relatives in San Antonio after her family was killed and then she was captured by the Kiowa tribe. The girl speaks no English and uh, Captain Kidd speaks no German and they encounter dangers along the way and their relationship grows. Uh, This was made into a movie recently with Tom Hanks in the film adaptation, which I have not seen, but I want to. But this is one of my favorite books from the last probably 10 years. Uh, And it's very short. You would probably like to know, Carrie, because you love a good short book. I do love a good short book. Now, the other one that I was going to mention by Paulette Giles is called Enemy Women. It's also a journey, but it's about an 18-year-old young woman named Adair Colley and her sisters. They lived in southeastern Missouri. And in, you know, if you remember some of your history, Missouri was sort of like a, a neutral state, I believe, in the Civil War. Um, but they have to flee their home because someone said that basically they had taken sides, that they were working for the Confederate side, even though they weren't. And so she is actually captured. She's imprisoned, but she's released by a union soldier who she falls in love with. And so she is making her journey back home and it is a harrowing journey. This book reminded me a bit of Cold Mountain by Charles Frazier, but with a woman's point of view and in a different part of the U.S. than we usually explore when we read historical fiction about the Civil War. Both of these books are excellent, and I will read just about anything Paulette Giles writes. Cool. 
the news of the world has been on my list forever. So my next book is called The Road Towards Home. Doesn't that just say journey? It does uh, <laughs> say journey. I mean, you can't get more journey than I that. I know, really. I know. The Road Towards Home by Corinne Demas. This was actually, uh, I think it was an Amazon first reads. And I was like, okay, I'll pick that one. It, I knew nothing about this book. So this is the story of Noah, who's a widower, and Cassandra, a widow and divorcee. And they knew each other long ago during their college years. But now they're in their 70s and they live in a retirement community. And they're not loving it. So when this retirement community requires some extensive renovation work, Noah invites Cassandra to visit his cabin on the coast of Cape Cod. And he's kept this cabin despite his son's lack of enthusiasm about this. So they head off on the road to the cabin. They don't really know each other, but they're willing to explore and perhaps deepen a friendship and turn it into love. But they are two strong personalities. So is this a case of you can't teach an old dog new tricks? You got to read it to find out. It's a story of learning more about who you are, even if you're in your 70s, the journey of self never ends. Is so. it sort of like a road trip? Uh, well, so, you know, they make the journey from the retirement community to Cape Cod. So it does have that journey. But then it's sort of like the journey of a relationship, <laughs> really. And so you get their internal journeys too, like what they're thinking and how they're adjusting to each other. But it's also the journey of is this relationship going to work? You know, I, I feel like that's an important journey that you know, we haven't explicitly talked about so far in the, right. in the episode. So right. anyway, that's called The Road Towards Home by Corinne Demas. Okay, my last one is a memoir. It's actually someone that we interviewed on the show s several years ago. The book is A Pearl in a Storm, How I Found My Heart in the Middle of the Atlantic Ocean by Tori Murden McClure. And this one is about... A woman's quest to row across the Atlantic Ocean by herself in a plywood boat with no motor and no sail. So Tori Merton McClure is a bit of a local celebrity here in Louisville. She's a former Olympian in rowing. She cross-country skied to the South Pole. She was a, an assistant uh, for development for Muhammad Ali and his foundation. I believe she was also a chaplain. Like, I think she has a theology degree. And she's currently the president of Spalding University here in Louisville. So she has done a lot of things. But she's also the first woman to row across the Atlantic Ocean alone. And you might think that this is a sports story, and it is a little bit. It's also a bit of an adventure story, but it's also a journey that's personal and intellectual. It is a battle against herself, against God, against nature. And at many points, I didn't really understand what was driving her, but I was in awe of her determination and her bravery because she has to actually make two trips in order to achieve this. And the first one was during a hurricane in the Atlantic. So she is rowing across the Atlantic when a hurricane comes through. And it is it, reading that is just so completely harrowing, but this is like the, tr this is like the journey of all journeys. I feel like, you know, doing that by yourself and relying on yourself like that. So again, the name of that is A Pearl in a Storm, How I Found My Heart in the Middle of the Atlantic Ocean by Tori Murden McClure. Well, I've got a memoir too. Okay. Memoir-ish to, to round out my five. So the, this book is written by a former guest, Ben Aiken. He's a an English writer, and he has written a couple books that I've really enjoyed. This one is called The Grand Tour, G-R-A-N, Travels with My Elders. And this is the story of Ben traveling not only on a trip with his grandmother, but also other trips with older folks on various road trips. So one of them takes place in Wales, one in Scotland, one in Ireland, and one in England. And Ben is is low key funny. He's he's very dry. It's definitely it's got a humor component, but he also most of the time has a deeper point that he's trying to make. In in these actual journeys, Ben is learning about older people and the awesomeness that they 
often add to the travel and life experience of others. So if you like travel uh, stories, if you like stories about older people, I suggest you give this a go. Again, it's called The Grand Tour Travels with My Elders by Ben Aiken. And Ben has a new book out called Fun that is on my list. Uh, I want to read it soon. He was on our show to talk about the Marmalade Diaries, which was the time that he spent in quarantine with an older lady. I have a sweet spot for stories about older people because I think older people are pretty freaking awesome. And their life has been a journey. They have they have a lot of there's a lot we can learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. There are ten, maybe eleven, because I had a two for books. If you're interested in journeys of all types, and now we're going to take a little break. We're going to get a five star recommendation from a book lover, and then when we come back, we're going to tell you what's on our TBRs. Hey, y'all. My name is Tiffany Kay. You may know me by my Instagram and Facebook handles at Chai Tea and Books are all I need, or maybe TikTok at Chai Tea and Books. I live in Omaha, Nebraska. Empire the Vampire by Jay Kristoff was my very favorite read of 2021. The world building in this is absolutely fantastic, and it has me waiting anxiously for the second book to come out, and that's not until February of 2024. I've always been a sucker for a vampire book, and this just raised the bar by leaps and bounds. For all new to fantasy readers, there is a bit of romance along with mystery and suspense elements. Top it all off with breathtaking illustrations done by Bon Orthwick, and I have ended up buying multiple copies of this book. And I'm one of those readers that I almost never reread books. This was significant enough that I'm still talking about this book two years later, so it is definitely worth checking out. Sounds like a great book book recommendation there and I've added a lot of books to my TBR and my list is now at 1092 I don't know what it was before I know that stresses you out when I say it which is why I say it because I get a little kick out of that (laughs) Um, (laughs) but one of the new ones I've added I actually thought you might be interested in too is called Cutting Teeth by Chandler Baker and I don't know a whole lot about it except for it might be good for spooky season because Mm. it's about vampire babies Ooh, yep cutting teeth see yeah i like that okay i like that all what right you so my book count is at 647 uh-huh so like you're half just, of tr- yours you're just not trying hard enough i know i know so when we went to the columbus book festival uh we sat in <laughs> on a panel and this author talked about her books and she was just out there and I thought this particular book would be fantastic to read. Her name is Mary Terzillo and the book is called Cosmic Cats and Fantastic Furballs. <laughs> she was she was something. Yeah, and I would say speculative fiction would be what she does. She's got another book that sounds good of hers is called Your Cat and Other Space Aliens. (laughs) And then she has one called Mars is No Place for Children. Anyway, it sounds like something that I would enjoy because A, it's cats, and B, it's out there. So I added that to my list. Very good. It's been so long since we did one of these that we just had so much to talk about. That's right. That's right. But now, you know, we need to let people get on with their day's journey and go about their their life until next time. Tune in because next week we have a special guest, Andy Hunter, who is the CEO of bookshop.org, which you have probably seen the link on your favorite independent bookstores websites. If you order from them, they give the money back to independent bookstores. And we're, you know, real excited to introduce y'all to him. So um, happy reading until next time. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at perksofbeingabooklover pod and on Facebook at perksofbeingabooklover. 
And if you like what we're doing with a show, tell your friend that they need to take a journey. They need to take a journey to their favorite podcast player and listen to Perks of Being a Book Lover. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us, or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives at forwardradio.org. 